John Carroll Lynch here. Hello! I'm here. I'm so happy that you uh, that you love Shutter Island. That's a really good movie. It's underrated, I think. And uh, it's funny to think about a Scorsese movie being underrated. Certainly was a pleasure to work on. Uh, and uh, also the accent's fun. Executive out of 319 of the Federal Code of Penitentiaries. Peace officer is required to uh, give up his firearms. It's fun. It's a fun accent. Um, and American Horror Story uh, uh, has been a big part of my life and a big part of my work, and it's been a joy to be on that show for a lot of different reasons. Uh, that's about it for now. Uh, I just have one little, little tiny piece of advice, which is don't go out there. Don't go out there. You know, this place makes me wonder which would be worse? To live as a monster or to die as a good man? In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. Really appreciate all the support. You guys are awesome. Uh, just want to say thank you all for real for the patience. Uh, we finally got our Apple Podcast problem fixed. We appreciate the patience. We truly apologize about that. Uh, before we get into tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Everything about our podcast is on our website. Of our episodes and interviews from our new releases to our very first one, uh, go check those out. We got some great interviews. A lot easier to find them there. Uh, we have our our blog called Under the Mask. We all wrote some think pieces. Uh, I'm going to write one pretty soon, just for the new Halloween end. So be prepared for that one. I'm excited to write it. Just give some thoughts. Uh, we got our store. Some brand new T-shirts. Really awesome. Check those out. Shan's uh, Etsy page is attached as well. If you want to grab a tumbler, they've been selling like crazy. We also have all of our social media links, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Go like us, subscribe us, follow us, all that good stuff. We love interacting with you guys. We love meeting new people. Uh, we read all of your comments and questions on each episode on the air. So definitely, uh, you know, link up with us and chat with us. We love meeting new people. And last thing we shout out is our Patreon we call Blood Donors. Uh, we have two different kinds. We have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. Uh like I said in the past, this does not go in our pockets. It goes directly into the show. We truly appreciate any financial support in these tough times. We fully acknowledge the times are tough, but it really does help us, you know, with site hosting, uh, producing a good show. So just just know you're part of the team whenever you, you donate and it helps us out. We also have one-time donation. You're a big fan of a movie and you want us to review it. We have that available as well. Just check us out on our website. Tonight is Brother Mike's pick and uh, – <laughs> He took on a beast of a movie, honestly, and I'll just let Mike announce it. Go ahead, brother. Why you pick it? Yeah, so I went with 2010's Shutter Island, and quite frankly, when we started this podcast, I would have never predicted we would do this movie uh, for the reasons that I know what Dustin's going to say, and he's he, it's fine. Traditionally, this probably is not a horror movie, but fuck it, we're do it live. Let's go, baby. Um, I mean, it's horror to somebody. You can't tell me that scene with, with, with noise in the cell and all that is not scary as shit. I don't care what anybody says. 
So it's scarier than the damn ring is or whatever the hell. I don't know. Whatever. So anyway, hey, teach their own. But listen, I picked this movie for the first time in a long time. I just picked a movie that I really wanted to freaking do on the show. Like I didn't pick it because it was big or had, you know, famous actors in it. I picked it because I love this movie. Normally, I don't really go that route except for my birthday little, you know, one-off there. Normally, I just pick what I think would be a good episode. I'm not sure how good this episode will be, but I think this cast is just outstanding. I just think Leonardo DiCaprio is phenomenal. Mark Ruffalo, who I'm normally not a huge fan of, I know to the shock, but I think he's great here. Uh, I mean, the whole cast, top to bottom. Cinematography, I know I get a lot of flack for mentioning that every episode, but can't deny it's freaking beautiful here. It's great. It's haunting. It's chilling. It's it's so perfect. I love the set. You know, the old Civil War fort, the design of the institution, I think is great. Just and great job by Martin Scorsese. This this duo of Leo DiCaprio and Scorsese is just a A plus combination. It, it, it always works. I've never seen a bad one when those two link up. And I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, yeah, man, I finally just went and picked the movie that I actually really like. All right, I'll go next real quick. Uh, I hadn't seen this movie since maybe the year it came out. Uh, I remember the first time I watched it, the ending, you know, blew my mind. I'm sure like it did most everybody. Great reveal. Great cast. Leonardo, I never thought we'd do a Leonardo DiCaprio movie, honestly, except maybe like I think he's in like one of the Critter sequels or something. But how soon we'll get to that, I don't know. But Leonardo, I don't think this is really a hot take, but he's probably one of the best actors of all time. I don't think anybody will argue that. Great cast, like Mike said, and I'll just take that even a step further. Got some great horror uh, cast members, you know, from other things. Max von Sydow from The Exorcist. Ted Levine, he's been in several horror movies. Uh, What's his name? John Carroll Lynch, I believe is what his name is. You know, he's the clown in a lot of the American Horror Story stuff. So we got a great cast. Uh, my really only complaint, Mike, with this movie is, although I will fully acknowledge it is a great, phenomenal movie, has almost no rewatchability to me. Like, I have zero desire to ever really watch this just out of the blue. But, you know, for this watch, and the first time I watched it, great movie, but I really don't ever crave to just watch Shutter Island because once you know everything, it really just doesn't... See, for me, like Saul, I know what's coming, but I can still rewatch them just because I enjoy them a lot more. But I still fully acknowledge that this is probably one of the best made and well-acted movies that we've reviewed on this show, yeah. if that makes any Without sense. Question. So, really quick, Nico, before someone else goes, the only joy I get out of rewatching it is showing it to someone who's never seen it. That's that. That's pretty much the only joy I get because I'm like, oh, you know, you're buying into the story like I did. It's coming, it's coming. Oh, you don't <laughs> see it, you get slapped across the face. So, uh, I think that's pretty much the only rewatchability this movie has. And as usual, I will give my one complaint. This movie is fucking long. <laughs> um, Brian, you want to go next? Yeah, so, so this movie, you know, along with ton of others, obviously, um, it's been on my watch list for a long last time. Like I, like Mike and, and Nico, I love Leonardo DiCaprio, and I love Martin Scorsese. Their team-ups are always phenomenal movies to me. And, you know, it wasn't a hot take, Nico, because I got the same thing written down. Uh, I didn't think I was exaggerating when I wrote that, in my opinion, Leonardo DiCaprio is one of the best actors of all time, certainly in my generation anyway. Um, I'm trying to think of another actor that chooses movies like so perfectly that nearly everything he touches is gold. Um, don't say David Arquette. Uh, but no, go oh, ahead. Just keep it muted. Woody Harrelson. Oh. 
Yeah. Woody Brad Pitt. Got it. Yeah, Brad Pitt. <laughs> Fucking love Woody Harrelson. Anyway, but to me, this this is an absolute masterpiece. Like again, I'm not exaggerating when I say Leo, I think, deserved an Oscar for this. Uh, he didn't get one until he's finally mauled by a fucking bear. How many years later? But, but to me, he deserved one for this. Um, but also, uh, Lita Congrati's screenplay based on Dennis Lehane's novel. The whole thing is written so damn well. Like, there's so many layers to this story. You know, I know we say this a lot, but this is definitely a movie that you need to watch more than once. And you know, and even then, it's it's left to interpretation a bit at the end. I mean, which we'll get into. But you know, and this is funny. Because after Ghostbusters, Nico kind of texted the group and, and asked, you know, if any of us teared up during that Egon scene in Afterlife. And I made the comment that I, I don't ever really cried in movies. And, you know, Karma laughed uh, when I said that because uh, I, I do emphasize a lot with characters. But, you know, also there's this wall that I guess for me personally where I still know it's fictional. And I can't remember a time when I cried in a movie. Um, but then we did Shutter Island. And I'll just spoil it. And that scene with his kids broke me. Like I, I cried, I cried like a baby watching that scene. Uh, So yeah, this movie has got uh, just, it's a damn masterpiece in my opinion. Yeah. It's a really good movie. In my opinion, it's the second best Leo DiCaprio movie that came out in 2010. And that's not a knock on this movie. Inception is just that damn good. Inception is phenomenal. (laughs) It's Um, it's not not a hot thing. And you're not wrong. Uh, I agree. He's one of the best actors of all time. Certainly of our generation. Um, him and Scorsese, I mean, between this, The Aviator, Gangs of New York, The Departed, hit, right. hit, hit, hit. World needs so plenty of bartenders. He does not miss. The, uh, this is a good movie. I agree, though. It doesn't really have rewatchability for me um, just because the, the twist is so profound and so so crucial to the movie that it's like once you know what's coming, it's like when you watch it again, it's like, ah, you know, all this is hoopla. Um but I agree with you, Mike, like watching this with someone who's never seen it is really fun. And for me, it had been so many years since I'd seen it. I'd only seen it uh, once years ago, like Nico said. So rewatching it this time was fun. So I think if you do, if if you want to say it has rewatchability, you need to wait years in between rewatches and then you'll appreciate it. But that's not that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It's just the twist just kind of takes you out of it. Well, I just meant like um, catching all so the good. stuff that they kind of left, you know, for you to. That's the only thing I rewatch it for is the little things yeah. that they put in there to to make you realize what's actually going right. on. I think it's pretty fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are nuances that you do need to rewatch just to pick up on. And even then you're going to miss some stuff. But I'm talking about like um, if you're not looking for those things, you're just wanting to watch a movie and be entertained by it. Um, I don't know. It just it doesn't really have high rewatchability for me in that regard. And also, like you said, Mike, it is long. That's honestly my I think this movie could have been a neat hour and 40 minutes instead of two hours and two minutes or 12 minutes, whatever it was, 218 minutes. So they could have, they could have cut some of it. Um, but he was so particular in the storytelling and so detailed that I appreciate it. Cast is great. Top to bottom. Um, we'll get into that as we do the scene by scene. It's, it's just a really damn good movie. Now uh, you already said it. I, I don't necessarily know that it's horror, but it does have, elements and it does have suspense and uh i think that we've it's well established we've evolved and grown past just the horror movie podcast we're a horror suspense thriller podcast mystery podcast we're a damn good movie podcast sometimes horror horror adjacent is what i like to 
Like, and so this one's in the family. This is this yeah, is a cousin. it's in the family. Yeah. So, uh, this, but it might be a far enough cousin that you can make some passes on it at a family reunion. Be okay, <laughs> but it's there. Hey, so. this is hey this. So I put this in the same category as like Sounds of the Lambs or Shape of Water, yeah. where it may not be horror, but it's horror that gets recognized by like big time critics and the Academy and stuff, and so that gives mm-hmm. at least horror some freaking recognition. So I'll take it. Yeah, like Shutter Island Seven, Silence of the Lambs, like all those are of yeah. the same ilk, yeah. and that's not a that's not a criticism. That's just you know an opinion of how I categorize the movies. It's a damn good movie, and I'm glad you picked it. Mike, uh, when we did Ghostbusters Afterlife, I told Brian and the rest of y'all that the two Ghostbusters movies were two of the most intimidating. That was just from a wanting to do Brian's favorite movies justice, but this one honestly was right up there with one of the most. Intimidating movies. It's one of my favorites, scene buddy. Scene wise. <laughs> just like this one, The Shining, you know, some other ones, just because there's so much more going on than what I can just write down. You know what I'm saying? Right. If that makes any sense at all. That's what but, we're for, brother. That's yeah. right. That's why we're here to help you. But if and y'all got any more opening thoughts, or y'all ready to just jump into it? Let's do it. All right. So, any Shutter Island <laughs> fans who listen to this, uh, cut me some slack. I did my best. The film starts with title card and Boston Harbor Islands, 1954, text on screen. We see a boat on the water and Teddy retching in the bathroom, washing his face. Pull yourself together, Teddy. It's just water. It's a lot of water as he looks out the window and more retching. He grabs his coat and goes back to Chuck, who stands at the front of the boat. He tells Chuck he can't stomach the water. Chuck is Teddy's new partner and calls him a legend. Teddy asks what they're smoking in Portland. He says he's from Seattle, and he's been a marshal for four years. Chuck asks if he has a girl or if he's married. Flashback to his wife, Dolores, and him in the living room. He says he did, but she died. There was a fire in the apartment building. The smoke got her, not the fire. Chuck gives him a cigarette since he couldn't find his own. They talk about the mental, uh, the mental hospital for the criminally insane. We see a shot of the island, and the captain says the dock is the only way on or off. He says he'd appreciate if they exit quickly so they can leave. There's a storm coming. The two are on the dock, and Deputy Warden McPherson says, Welcome to Shutter Island, and the marshals notice the other guys giving them all stares. Cool overhead zoom-in shot of them driving to the mental hospital. Teddy comments on the electrified perimeter. McPherson says they will obey protocol and shows them three wards. Ward C houses the most dangerous patients. He tells them they're required to surrender their firearms. Teddy resists at first, but hands up his over while Chuck struggles to remove his gun. McPherson takes him to Dr. Colley. We see all these patients who give Teddy an awkward, creepy stare. They're in Dr. Colley's office now, and Teddy looks around at the odd artwork. Colley speaks on the cruel ways they used to treat their patients. Teddy now asks on this female patient, Rachel Solando. Colley says she escaped between 10 and midnight. She's considered dangerous. She murdered her three children by drowning them in a lake. One by one, then surrounded them around the kitchen table. She ate a meal. Collie says her husband died in Normandy. Teddy has a war flashback and asks for an aspirin. He's struggling with seasickness. Collie says Rachel thinks her kids are alive and has acknowledged she's in an institution. The warden and his men have, have scoured the island but can't find her. And they have no clue how she escaped. Orderly Gannon takes Chuck and Teddy to her room and they check it out. Chuck asks how many pairs of shoes they're allowed and Chuck says she couldn't have made it 10 yards in that terrain barefoot. Teddy finds a hidden note that says, the law of four, who is 67? Collie says, definitely Rachel's handwriting. And Teddy asks if he thinks it's just random scribbling. 
Collie takes him to the card room and says somehow Rachel slipped past seven men playing cards. Collie tells Teddy, I'll see what I can do to Teddy's request. He says, you can join the deputy warden search if you'd like now. They're on the rocks and Teddy asks if they've checked these, these caves. McPherson says it's impossible to get her there. Teddy now asks about the lighthouse and the guards have already checked there. It's just a sewage treatment facility now. Teddy and Chuck are interviewing some patients and Glenn says he didn't see anything. Glenn now confesses he might have went to the bathroom. Collie says he broke protocol. A nurse tells Teddy she was in a group therapy session. Teddy asks if anything more memorable happened and she says no. Rachel says she was worried about the rain and hates the food. She says Dr. Sheehan was running the session. Teddy says they need to speak to him, but he's left already. Teddy asks for the phone number, but no answer. All the lines are down from the storm. Collie says he has rounds to make, but he'll be having a drink around 9 if they want to stop by. We're in Collie's home now, and Chuck comments on how nice it is. Teddy has another war flashback and says the music is Mahler, not Brahms. We now meet Dr. Nayring. He says he's surprised Teddy doesn't ask for an alcoholic drink. Nayring says men like Teddy are his specialty, men of violence. War flashback as Teddy walks up on his commander on the ground wounded. Nayring asks, who raised you, Marshal? Teddy says, wolves. Back to the flashback and Teddy moves the gun from the man's reach as he dies from his injuries. Do you believe in God, Marshal? Teddy asks if he's ever seen a death camp and continues to speak in German. Nayring says no files will be released and Teddy yells bullshit. Teddy says the investigation is over and they're taking the ferry back in the morning. They leave and drive away as Collie watches them leave. McPherson says they're bunking in the orderly quarters. Chuck asks if they're really packing it in. He's never quit anything. Nayring says no files will be released and Teddy yells bullshit. Teddy says the investigation is over and they're taking the ferry back in the morning. They leave and drive away as Collie watches them leave. McPherson says they're bunking in the orderly quarters. Chuck asks if they're really packing it in. He's never quit anything. Teddy says they're not being told the truth. He says Rachel didn't escape. She had help. Flashback now as Dolores tells Teddy she found a whole stack of liquor. Are you ever sober anymore? He asks if she's real and she says no. She's still here. Who, Rachel? She never left. Dolores walks to a window and asks if he remembers when we stayed in the cabin. You can't leave. She's still here. Teddy says, I'm not going to leave. I love you so much as he hugs her and we see blood come out her stomach and ash fill the room. I won't go. You're here. I'm not. You have to face that. But she is. And so is he. He asks who and she says latest. You have to let me go, Teddy. She disintegrates and the room is on fire now. And Teddy wakes up and sees water dripping all over him. Brian, that's the opening set of scenes. What'd you think? So just a fun fact right off the bat, uh, the music that's playing in the opening, like Paramount logo and the credits that follow, it's actually taken from a sample of the soundtrack from The Shining. So that sounds familiar to anyone. Um, obviously, we're introduced to Chuck and Teddy. Well, right now they're Chuck and Teddy. I mean, let's we'll go with uh, Leo and Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> and, you know, kind of the opposite of what Mike said. I, I think, and I think I've said this before as well, but this may be the first time that we reviewed a movie with him in it. I don't really know why we would be talking about it other than that, but uh, he's just so good to me and everything that he's in. Um, this obviously being no different to me. Uh, he actually apparently got the role because of a letter he wrote to Scorsese requesting to work with him at some point. Uh, but, but a lot, you know, just a lot in this set of scenes, like you don't really, like we talked about earlier, you don't really catch uh, upon subsequent viewings, like him not actually being seasick because of the turbulence. You know, Mike brought up off air about the handcuffs. I forgot even totally about, uh, you know, in him in the or behind him in the bathroom. But, you know, this whole thing, uh, you know, 
kind of being about his aversion to water, you know, because of what we found out later, you know, in, in his past and in fire, which I didn't catch at all, you know, that he never lights his own cigarette until much later when you see him kind of start to overcome these fears as he, you know, progresses through the movie. Also, you know, just those quick shots on that heavily armed guards, you know, looking looking at uh, Andrew slash Chuck for, for reasons you, you don't really understand until much later. Um, you know, Chuck handing over the gun, but obviously Ruffalo's character not being very good with the, the handing over the gun either. So just there's so many like brilliant, subtle things. And I know I didn't name them all, but that's just some of them. And, you know, just the last thing, there's just amazing shots throughout, you know, especially here as they're, you know, riding in the Jeep. It, it kind of gives you the lay of the land, but it also like keeps it interesting and not just some overhead aerial shots, you know, of the Jeep driving up to Ashcliff. Uh, the music, especially on the Jeep ride, is so confusing to me. Like at first, I didn't like it. It, it didn't seem like it fit. Uh, but again, like upon subsequent viewings, it, it makes it a little bit more sense and kind of sets that tense feeling pretty quickly. Um, but sound design, sound design's brilliant throughout too. Like little things, like the over exaggerated harsh sounds from things like the bulbs when they enter the facility. Which and talk about design. I mean, just wow. There, there's too many people to name, but the set decoration was by Francisco Lociavo. And, and I mean, saying that doesn't give it justice. Uh, you know, I mean, hell, it was nominated for production design, ADG award, uh, satellite award for best art direction and production design. Just fucking phenomenal work. You know, and lastly, just shout out to the visual effects team because holy shit, like these dream sequences, if you want to call them that, they're absolutely stunning looking. Uh, Michelle Williams, two-time DGOT alum with H2O on her resume so far. Um, almost three-time because I almost picked Species once already. It's coming. But regardless, great set of scenes. Uh, watching, you don't know yet, you know, if we're dealing with something supernatural or not. And again, just great storytelling here. And, you know, wow, even at that scene at the house with the cigar and our introduction to the legendary Max von Sido, rest in peace to, to just such a legend. But I'll let the guys kind of touch on him and, and the rest of it. I've rambled already. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so this is, again, I love this set of scenes upon more viewings. I mean, it's good on its own. You know, it makes for a good story. Here come, you know, U.S. Marshals to investigate a missing person at a mental institution. That alone is a pretty good plot for a film. But when you go back and you know the ending of this movie, and again, if you haven't seen this movie, if you have not seen this movie, stop right here, go watch this movie, then come back and listen, okay? Because this is one of the movies that I really don't want to spoil for someone who hasn't seen it. Although I don't really know why you would click on this without watching it. That I will say. But we appreciate you listening. Stop, go back, then come back and listen. Okay. So you talked about the handcuffs behind. That's not something I caught until a BuzzFeed article five years later, Brian. I mean, that's the truth. That, I would have never even noticed those handcuffs behind him. But you look, you pause it. It's in their clearest day in the mirror. But you're not looking right, for that, right. right? And then, you know, you think he's seasick. You think Teddy, I, I'm just going to call him Teddy and Chuck because it's much easier for me at the moment. And then I'll switch later. But, you know, it's so easy to excuse this away as just someone being seasick when in fact he he's horrified by water because of what has happened in his life. And I, I think all those little subtle things are really good. You know, I mentioned in our text thread about uh, 
Chuck having a hard time handing over the gun, not quite knowing how to take the holster off. I think it's just such a nice touch. The eye contact that Chuck and the guards make, it's kind of like a, hey, man, help me out, play along, you know, those kinds of things. Everyone's involved here, except for Teddy, obviously. And, you know, you you, you notice it now, but you didn't quite notice it on that on that first viewing, or at least I didn't. I thought that was interesting. Um, just, man, I love that kind of stuff. And you mentioned the set and everything else. I talked about that. I think it's fantastic. Um, there's some of the storytelling, you know, with them finding the note, the rule, the rule for, you know, who was 67, all of that stuff. To me, when you watch it for the first time, feels like there's something sinister going on at this institution. Like there's something worse going on that, that, that we're not aware of, and Leonardo DiCaprio's character is going to find out. Because you don't just find a random note under a tile. But it makes so much more sense that that was there because it was all part of a plan. And again, I I, I just love that layered storytelling, that little bit of nuance that we get. I mean, even when they're interviewing the staff in that scene, I love that scene because if you rewatch it, they're terrified of this man. Uh, they are absolutely terrified of Teddy, uh, and it shows. But at the time, you think they're just scared to give interviews because they're up to something. They're covering for the institution. They know where Rachel Salando is, and I just love the fact that in his head, he or you know, in his head, he's created this Rachel Salando character that did the crime that his wife did. Like it's just, it's all really good layered stuff and. The dream sequences. Now, I will say, some of the dream sequences to me in this movie run a little long in the tooth. I think a lot of the stuff at Dachau uh, later in the film goes just a little long. But this one here is so important because of what Michelle Williams' character says. You know, you have to let me go. Latest is here. And you kind of like, who the hell is latest? And you find out he's latest. And so much, so many layers. I completely understand why it was hard for Nico to do scene by scene because if you're just reading it as the movie reads, it's not like the most interesting thing in the world. But when you start adding that nuance, I think it makes for a great set of scenes. Yeah. So first of all, we get a very intense score during the opening scene. Like to me, it's unnecessarily intense when they're coming in off the boat, like rolling up to Ashcliff. Like that's, some very intense music for no damn reason. Like, it's very anticlimactic. Um, that's just a nitpick. So, when you watch it on the first watch through, you look at it and you're like, you're just picking up on it. Oh, okay, these are some good marshals. But then you uh, watch it again, knowing what we come to find out. Man, he's just kept his gun and left. Just get back on that damn ferry and leave. Like, <laughs> get the fuck out of there. But uh, I like that Ben Kingsley's in this movie. To me, he's best known for playing... Ben Kingsley from the Sopranos. Like when he was, he had a cameo in that show and uh, that's the first time I can remember seeing him um, or like recognized him as who he was. So I always think of that when I see him, but he's a, such a damn oh, yeah. good actor, man. He, he, he held his own with DiCaprio in this movie to me. Like he was up there on that level. Wasn't um, he Davy Jones in the second Pirates of the Caribbean? Ooh, was he? I'm, I'm not sure. You looked that up uh, while I go over that. Cause I, now you got me wondering. But um, him having his war flashbacks was, uh, you know, that's a nice subtle touch or a subtle sign of the big twist to come. I like how they do that oh, throughout the movie. Never mind, that was Bill Nye. 
not the science, the science guy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, fun fact: when I went to Game Three of the World Series uh, in 2019 at Nationals Park, Bill, now the science guy, and I were shopping in the Nets uh, team shop at the same time, and I was so starstruck. I've never been starstruck, but it was fucking Bill, now the science guy. Did you so, go, Bill, 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 Bill? Hell no, man! I was like, I, uh, <laughs> sir. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, the the war flashbacks and it's just a nice subtle touch there. Um, I love the line when he's like, "She's in a mental institution." Seems like something you'd notice from time to time. Like that's just pure <laughs> irony because you you can see it on Crawley's face. He's like, "Huh? Huh? Are you sure?" But uh, you know, then you know when they're looking for the body, if this is an elaborate role play, they went all out. That was a lot of guards out there. Now I get it; they weren't really doing anything they're just sitting around skipping rocks and shit but there's a lot of people out there and then when they're talking about uh and he's like you th- what about the caves have you checked the caves yeah fuck that i wouldn't climb in those caves anyway poison sumac they mentioned sumac by name and you guys know peek behind the curtain i've had poison sumac three times this year in 2020 uh is this 2022 yeah 2022 <laughs> no i'm not climbing down that fuck that so she could just stay in there if that's the last where she's few at. weeks besides um, between poison sumac and falling downstairs you've been ptsd heaven <laughs> dude that was yeah and i it's so funny you said that because at the end in the end scenes of this when he's running up the stairs in the uh in the uh lighthouse i'm like oh brother watch your step because you make a quick move on a step you're fucked but anyway um Lost my place here. All right. Yeah. So the nurse that says normal is a big part of their day, her, she was actually in three of the Leo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese movies. She was in this, The Departed, and The Aviator. So I thought that was interesting. It's like they, uh, I wish that she was in Gangs of New York as well. So that would have been four for four on those movies. But um, that was just an interesting note there. We get more war flashbacks. Uh, he clearly has problems like some PTSD. Like he's fucked in the head. Like we, we can clearly see that. Um, just because of the subject matter of his flashbacks and dreams. Um, and then, you know, when we get this one, we see that he is a demented motherfucker. Like, he just sat there and watched the German soldier bleed out like that and, like, put his foot on the gun and moved it away and just looked in his eyes as he died. Like, that's some sadistic shit right there. Um, once you learn the twist and you go back and watch it, it really makes sense like when he's demanding the files because the first time you watch it he's like i need the files and they're like i'm not sure we can do that i'll submit your request it's like what no dude he's a marshal you have to give him but once you know the twist it's like ah that makes sense they don't want him to see the files they want him to figure this out on his own um and there is no file for rachel salando but uh i like the way that they shoot the flashbacks in the dreams like there's always some crazy shit going on, like the the papers flying all over the office when the Nazi soldier was bleeding out. You got debris flying everywhere when he's in the house with uh, Dolores. Uh, things showing up and disappearing all willy nilly, like the odd camera cuts. Um, I, I really like the way that was shot, and honestly, it reminds me of Inception because when he's having those quote unquote yeah. dreams, there's subtleties like that in the way they're shot, and things aren't realistic and normal to let you right. know that it's a dream world this isn't reality and so i thought that was very interesting that both those movies came out the same year and they have uh similar features in that regard but overall it's it's a good opening set of scenes man we get some strong acting off the rip uh we got a storyline that grabs your attention 
And uh, yeah, I'm in. Hey, really quick before you go, Nico, I love, and I know we're going to get into it here in a second, but we're about to start into the storm part of this movie. And I really didn't even realize until years later that the actual, the rain is real, but the rest of the storm is in this man's head. And I did not realize that until years later. So I love this next set of scenes because of that. Oh yeah. There's so much in this movie. It's, <laughs> that's why it's intimidating. Teddy tells a doctor he needs to interview the patients in group therapy. Colleague asks if they know anything about mental health treatment. He speaks on lobotomies and new drugs. Rachel was on a combo of drugs to prevent her from violence, but her biggest obstacle to her recovery was her refusal to accept what she had done. Teddy asked why the past tense. He looked out the window and asked, why do you think as they see this storm? Teddy and Chuck are interviewing patients. Up first, Peter Breen. He says she was sweet, but loved to be naked and suck cock. Teddy says we're here to talk about Rachel Solando. Peter says she killed her kids, gassed the bitch. Teddy begins scribbling with his pencil, and it drives Peter crazy. Do you know a patient named Andrew Latis as Teddy snaps at him, and Peter is taken away? Next up is Bridget Kearns, and Teddy comments she seems quite normal compared to the other patients. She killed her husband with an axe. She doesn't know how the world works anymore. He asks her about Rachel. She thought she lived in the Berkshires. Her kids were alive. She says Dr. Sheehan spoke on anger. Teddy asks about him, and she says he's not hard on the eyes and he's very nice and a good doctor. She asks for a glass of water. She grabs a notebook and writes something down. Teddy asks her now if she ever met a patient named Andrew Latis. Her voice shakes, and she says she never heard of him and walks away. Teddy says she was coached, and Chuck asks him, who's Andrew Latis? Chuck says, I just want to know what the hell's going on. Teddy says he requested this case specifically. He says Andrew Latis was a maintenance man in the apartment building where they lived. He lit a match that caused the fire that killed my wife. Teddy and Chuck are walking in the rain as Chuck asks what happened to Latis. He got away with it and disappeared. Ugly son of a bitch with a big scar on his face. Burned down a schoolhouse. Teddy thinks he's in Ward C. They make it to the graveyard and Chuck asks if Bridget said anything while I got water. He says she wrote it and shows Chuck. Run. Chuck says they gotta get indoors. The storm is getting too bad. They avoid get, getting hit by fallen limbs and making inside an old building. Chuck asks if Latis is here, what you going to do about it? Another war flashback at Dauchu. The SS guard surrendered. The, com the commandant tried to kill himself, but he botched it. Took an hour to die. Teddy says there were too many bodies to count. Too many to imagine. We took the guards' guns and lined them up. They now begin to mow them down with bullets. It wasn't warfare. It was murder. I've had enough of killing. That's not why I'm here. After Latis vanished, I did some checking on Ash Cliff. No one wants to talk, and Teddy says this place is specially funded. He says he found a former patient named George Noyce. He starts seeing dragons everywhere and is in Ward C for one year. Two weeks in the mainland, he walks in the bar and stabs three people to death. He begs a judge for the electric chair anywhere but a mental hospital. They're experimenting on people here. Chuck asks, how do you trust a crazy guy? Teddy says, I'm going to get the proof, and I'm going to blow the roof off this place. Chuck says, stuff ain't adding up. He says, what if they wanted you here now? Now they have you. Now they have us here. The door flings open and McPherson radios for them. Teddy says, we're getting off this goddamn island. Get dried off. Dr. Cowley wants to talk to you now. They shower and are given orderly clothes and some new cig and some cigarettes. We're in a meeting now. Nayring says, patients in Ward C be placed in manual restraints. If the island floods, they will drown, he's told. 
Teddy has a question for for Cowley, and Cowley says he doesn't know who patient 67 is. None of us do. 24 in Ward C, 42 in A and B, 66 total patients. Rachel was suggesting there's a 67th patient. Rachel's been found. She's here, safe and sound. All right, Brian, this is the next set of scenes I got. What do you think? So, like, right now, I'm definitely already wrapped up in this mystery. And, you know, this walk and talk with Leo, and look, I'm just going to call him Leo because it's two different names throughout this. It's confusing when you're doing this review, so he's always fucking Leo. So, this walk and talk with Leo and Kali is, is really a huge, huge discussion as far as this movie goes. You know, as, as Kali is really explaining the, the state of the medical field at this time in history and, and really is just such a, a backbone of the, of the heart of the discussion of this movie. Um, you know, and these interviews with the patients of the group definitely play different when you know the truth as an audience member, too. Uh, you notice the look on their faces when he asked them if they've ever heard of Andrew Latus. Um, and something so brilliant was a water cup being missing from from Miss Kern's hand when she lifts it up to take a sip. Like certainly because of Leo's, you know, mind blocking it out because of his reaction to water. Um, one goof, though, in this particular scene, I think Miss Kearns writes run, but she writes it in like the upper left page of the notebook. But when it's shown like later on, you know, he shows shows the word actually it's it's written on the lower right hand side of the page. So I do think that was a little bit of a mess up. But now a lot of the set of scenes is just walk and talk and you need that. Uh, but things, you know, things like having it to be in the woods um, during a hurricane in a tomb, all settings that like allowed this huge dialogue dump uh, for the audience, but without making it boring or anything, in my opinion. Uh, but also this flashback scene to this concentration camp, first of all, very emotional scene, like especially knowing that this is a you know historical fact and also that the choice of, of having it been shown with no sound just the voiceover of Leo talking in the soundtrack, then the bullets, very powerful. Um, you know, now at around 42 minutes, and this is the last thing I'll say, when it's showing the Holocaust victims, it kind of shows, it shows a kid, a bald-headed kid against the fence. And if that's not Atticus Schaefer from the TV show The Middle, then it's his doppelganger because he looks exactly like that kid. And I couldn't find anything on it. I went looking and spent way more time than I care to admit on it, looking for it, but... It, it, it looks exactly like him. Just wanted to point that out. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so I love this scene where they interview patients. Uh, I, I think it's one of the more suspenseful scenes upon a rewatch. You know, upon your, your first viewing, it's still freaky, especially when somebody writes run on a piece of paper like that. And that scene got a lot of play in the trailer. I remember the trailer coming out. Kind of makes it seem like one of those really typical suspense thriller movies but when you know what <laughs> their their patients in here together and she's telling him to run uh i think that that is you know it's really just gosh so many layers here um but i do love you know i, I love all of the or you know both patients they interview leo knowing to do the pencil thing we don't see it at the time but we know that he he probably knows what makes this other man tick uh, and all of that stuff. And I'm guessing those two were willing participants in this, you know, charade thing that they're playing along with. I think, you know, <laughs> it'd be really hard to keep character when he's doing that pencil on the pad back and forth for sure. But God, I love that scene. I think it's, it's intense. It's, 
it it gives you the first glimpse, by the way, into who Teddy actually is. Um, even on the first watch, there's now I will say in this set of scenes, and I don't have a whole lot on this set of scenes, but in this set of scenes, you get two instances where I start to kind of question Teddy. Like even on the first watch, I'm like, eh, I don't know about this guy. Because his, his intensity when he's with this first guy, I guess you could explain it away as him being mad about murdering someone that was innocent. But how would he, I mean, the pencil thing kind of makes it seem like he has a little bit of a tick. Um, and then he starts talking about his conversation with George Noyce and how he used to be a patient here. And how did he find all of this out? And, you know, I appreciate Mark Ruffalo's character really feeding into his conspiracy theory brain with his, what if they were, when you were looking into them, they were looking into you. I think that's great work uh, by him as his quote unquote doctor. I think it's fantastic. It's also good work for him as his partner. So everyone's playing their part pretty damn well here, man. Like I, I think golly, I just love the layers, but like you said, Brian, there's a lot of walk and talk here. Um, I will say, and we're not, quite at the Rachel thing, but once you find out that Rachel is found, you know something is fishy. You don't know what it is, but it makes zero sense that she would be quote-unquote found after they looked all this time. And again, I can't say how awesome it is. Like, I can't say it enough that the storm part of this, so the tree falling, all the crazy winds, not being able to get on the ferry, is all in his head. Because that's how he views water and everything going on around him. Uh, I think that's kind of and 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 I read this anyway, so you know maybe not, but it kind of seems like the people that were playing along with this would put a tree limb somewhere or put a broken this. And by, by the way, the funniest thing upon rewatch, and I meant to say it in the last set of scenes, is when all the guards are on the rocks and they're bored because they're looking for Rachel, but they're not really looking for Rachel. They're just kind of chilling and sitting. That's probably the fu- the only funny part of this entire movie. But yeah, man, uh, again, just love the story. Very invested. Wait, so, I, and this is legitimately me not knowing. I really didn't know that the storm part was in his head. So how, how did he explain all of the, like when the hurricane comes through and all of the everybody's out running around with all the trees and just everything. So let me find the source. Okay. So I, I think it's Shutter Island explained. This is Barry.com. Okay. Uh, there's an article and they talk about it in there. And I guess they interviewed someone who worked on the movie. They talked about that. That's huh. that we're supposed to, we're not supposed to know that, but that's the actual point in the script or in the story. So, uh, if you scroll down to, there's a section, Water and Fire, that talks about it. And there's a section, The Storm, that talks about it. So, mm-hmm. I guess if you want to look it up, it's thisisbury.com. You can Google that with, with Shut Around. I'm sure that it would come up. It's interesting. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting to me, too, because I, like you said, Brian, I never even considered it just because we see the right. carnage from the storm that yeah anyway i mean i can read it quickly if you want this is what it says it's one little small thing here's the thing about the storm there isn't one it's just raining violent storm is only in edward's mind created because of his discomfort with water as part of the role play the staff places props to amplify the effects of this storm 
including the patients getting loose. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Um, so in this set of scenes, first of all, when Kali is explaining to him his method of treating patients, holy shit, what a scream that we get from that oh, yeah. one patient. <laughs> like that lady, <laughs> that's a great horror scream. Like she needs to be cast. That was awesome. Um, much better than what's her name. Uh, I've complained about her enough. I won't, I won't name drop her again. Hey man, um, do you have, don't speak on a legend's name like this. This is ridiculous. No, what? she, oh, I no, thought he's he talking about, um, girl, so, yeah, Samara, yeah, Samara Weaving. Yeah. Yep. Weaving. Yeah, I wasn't going to say it. Yeah. Samara don't Weaving. speak on a legend's name like that, brother. Legend. All right. Anyway. Right. Um, Miss uh, Breen, Breen is the funniest motherfucker in this movie. That was the funniest quote of, of any movie we've ever reviewed. You could tell she liked to be naked to suck cock. She wanted me to pull my thing out so she could laugh at it. Dude, I laughed my ass off. That's that's some of the funniest shit. They're just trying to... He's like, man, bro, I ain't even trying to hear that. Like, I'm just here to ask you about Rachel. <laughs> that, that was so funny. Um, asking the patients about Dr. Sheehan is so tense, like, after you know the twist. Because these are insane patients. Right, like they're in a mental ward, and he's asking them about who's Doctor Sheehan. You know that one patient; she did a really good job of like holding it together. That had to be nerve wracking, and she didn't break. She stayed in character. She was trained and coached, and she and sitting right across from her, and she like that was that was great right there. Uh, especially if once you learn the twist, I really like that um, on a rewatch. Teddy recognizing that she's co uh, coach is also tense um, because it's like okay, he's starting to put it together. He's he's so close. But he doesn't get it. Um, and then asking him who Andrew Latus is, it, or Andrew Latus is, it's like, man, how did that not trigger him? And how did Sheehan keep it together? Like, I don't, I don't know what their what their coaching was on this. Like, how when they were supposed to break the news, how close they were supposed to let him. But he was right there. Um, great dialogue to build the scene or build the the settings for the world that he's created in his own mind here. That's pretty much what this set of scenes was, is just letting us see how in-depth this world is that he has created for himself that he lives in now. Um, great job by Chuck or she and whatever you want to call him to kind of provoke him and trigger some things that would maybe snack him back to reality, but it doesn't work. To me, this is uh, probably my least favorite set of scenes, though, just because there's not much. It's just really building more so than anything actually happening. All right, we're in Rachel's cell now, and Chuck says, not a mark on her. She asks, who are these men? Teddy asks about a communist passing out literature and asks what she did yesterday. She packed Jim's lunch and sent the children off to school. She says she decided to take a long swim in the lake. After that, I thought of you. I don't know what you're talking about, Teddy says. Don't you know how lonely I've been, Jim? You're gone. You're dead. I cry every night. How am I supposed to survive? And she hugs Teddy's neck. He embraces her and says, it'll be all right. She pulls away and says, I buried you. My gym's dead, so who the fuck are you? The guards control her as she snaps. Collie says they found her down by the lighthouse skipping stones. Teddy is having another migraine. It's so bright. He collapses and Collie hands him pills and water. Collie tells Chuck he needs to lie down. Teddy asks, who is that? It's the warden. They have Teddy lie down. He looks like an ex-military prick. Teddy has another flashback as he sees dead bodies in the snow. He walks up to a woman and her daughter whose eyes open. The girl sits up and says, you should have saved me. You should have saved all of us. Teddy now sees Andrew Latest sitting in a chair by the fireplace. My buddy, 
no hard feelings, right, as he lights Teddy's cigarette. He opens his coat and offers him a flask, saying he knows how much he needs it. It's now Chuck who says we're running out of time. We hear a woman scream. It's Rachel with blood all over her and three dead children around her. She touches his face, and he bends over and picks up the girl. I'm dead, she says. Why didn't you save me? I tried, but by the time I got there, it was too late. We see Teddy in the lake putting the girl into the water. She sinks below the surface, and Teddy wakes up in a cold sweat. The door opens, and Dolores walks in. She says, Latus isn't dead. He's still here. You have to find him, Teddy, and kill him dead. She touches his face, and he begins to shake, and they embrace each other. He wakes up to chaos. The backup generator has failed. Patients are running around freed. Trees have fallen. Teddy thinks the whole electrical system is fried. Chuck says, nice day for a stroll toward sea, don't you think? Teddy says, noise. Teddy says, noise said this is where the worst of the worst patients are kept. The two are jump scared by an officer who tells them most are locked up, but some are still loose. Don't try and contain any. They will kill you. They enter a new room hearing some distant laughing. Teddy says he's here. Latest. I can feel him. A patient pops up and says, tag, you're it, and runs from Teddy, who chases after him. The patient ambushes Teddy from behind and puts him in a chokehold. He tells Teddy, I don't want to leave here. Why would I want to? He talks on hydrogen bombs, and Teddy gets free and begins to attack the man and now choke him. Chuck gets him off of him, and an officer says, we got to get Billings to the nurse. Teddy is alone now, and he hears someone whisper, latest. He, li he lights matches for light and makes it a George Noyce's cell. Don't you recognize my voice after all the lies you told me? Noy says, Teddy did this to his face. This is a game. You're not investing anything. You're a rat in a maze. Noyce asks, you been alone much? You ever worked with this partner? They've already won if you trust him. Noyce cries and says, they're going to take me to the lighthouse and cut into my brain. You can't cut out the truth and kill Latus at the same time. She's dead. Let her go. Teddy now sees Dolores in the cell. Noy says she's fucking with your head. She's going to kill you. Want to uncover the truth? you got to let her go. I can't, Teddy yells. Then you'll never leave this island. Noy sits down and says he's not in this ward. If he's not in Ward A, only one place he can be, the lighthouse. God help you, he tells Teddy. Chuck says they got problems and they run out. And big shout out to Jackie Earl Haley. I forgot to mention him yeah. as another horror, you know, uh, cast member. Yeah. Uh, he did a great job in this set of scenes. Uh, Brian, what'd you think? He's a great actor. Oh, yeah. He had a really bad script and look as Freddy. Not his fault. Oh no, I mean, <laughs> but I always, I don't even think of him as Freddy. He did such a good job in Watchmen. I mean, that's just that. That's he's phenomenal. That's true. That's true. Yep. But you know, I, I would also speaking of of actors and actresses, I would like to say this nurse that's playing Rachel here at the start of this set of scenes is phenomenal at acting like a mental patient. Uh, it's Emily Mortimer, who's an absolute phenomenal actress anyway. But aside from that, in story, it's a nurse playing a mental patient for the act. And wow, just phenomenal job all the way around there. Um, this migraine dream is really the biggest, most memorable part about this set of scenes to me. Uh, the use of the piano and the soundtrack, the snow inside and outside the buildings, um, the spotlight lighting all just looks so creepy. And I think it's really well done. Um, Shout out to Ruby Jernis, who, who I remember for being Lacey Talbert on the OG Law and Order. She does a tremendous job playing Rachel Latis. And, uh, you know, and, and then obviously definitely credit to Dustin here for letting me know to look out for the OG Casey Jones from the first Ninja Turtles. And honestly, they did such a good job with his makeup. I thought at first, and had Dustin not told me, I would have thought that was Christopher Maloney, uh, Elliot Stabler from Law and Order SVU. 
Dude, I'm, I was thinking, I thought the same thing. And so when I was, uh, obviously the first time I watched this movie, I didn't recognize that it was Casey Jones. But when this, when I knew that we were going to review it, and I'm just looking at IMDb and looking at the cast, and I saw him. I was like, wait a minute, where the hell is he? Latest, wait, what? So, yeah, that was yeah. insane. Um, but obviously it's not. It's it's Alias Codis, and shout out to D. Frank for that one, by the way. Um, but yeah, this migraine dream, especially with Leo picking up his dead daughter and putting her in the water, uh, but also walking backwards at one point from the water, really just started to kind of set me up for what would really ruin me later on when it shows the truth and what really happened. Um, and you know, look, this may be a hot take, but this trip towards sea is probably my least favorite part of the movie. Like, it's not bad by any means. So don't let me say that. I'm not trying to say it's bad. And like we just said, Jackie Riley is amazing in this. Um, he was awesome. Great visuals, too, as as he walks, as Leo walks through the corridors. You know, it, and it's, it's an acting clinic between Leo and Haley, honestly. But it's just the only part of this movie where it just it just lost me a little bit. And I kind of felt like a drug a little bit on, for me anyway. Um, lastly, also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention... And Nico did mention him earlier, but he's friend of the show, John Carroll Lynch. I forgot to mention him in the first set of scenes, but he plays that deputy warden that that took their guns at the start. He shows up again here in this set of scenes with the warden. So I thought I'd give him a shout out for doing the intro to the show. John Carroll Lynch, appreciate it. Yeah, this is where the movie to me really starts to pick up. Look, you're absolutely right. The fact that they got a nurse to participate in this and play a patient as Rachel Solando, I think, was just, golly, it's so well done. Um, I would have thought that was Rachel Solando. You know, the first time you see it, you, you kind of buy in. You're like, well, that's interesting because she's definitely, you know, belongs in this place uh, the way she – I hate to use the word crazy as a catch-all. So if I accidentally slip up and do that, I do apologize. But, I mean, for, for lack of a better term, that's what she's portraying, especially in 1954. Just a great job. And again, she clearly knows the story of what uh, Teddy's wife did and, and and was like, and she's playing that pseudo version of her. And I think it's it's just a really good deal. It's almost like there's a few times when you watch it again, you can almost catch Teddy kind of recalling it in his head, but quickly snapping out of it and just like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Like that kind of stuff I think is – is really, really good. You know, this this migraine stuff, I ri- in hindsight, it's not, you know, again, first watch, you're like, this man's having migraines because they're making him take the medicine. They're, he, you know, he's smoking their cigarettes and all this other stuff. And, and you know, really, he's just going through bad withdrawals and stuff. And, and I think that that is something upon another couple watches, you're like, wow, golly, I just love that. And this migraine dream, I think the... The shots they have in this are beautiful. The lighting being different than it is in the real world sequences, I think, is really, really good. Um, and, you, man, you're right. I just love the scene when Leo carries his daughter down to the water. I think the music there is, you know, just makes it. Like, I think it's awesome. Um, I'm going to disagree slightly with you, but I understand what you're saying. But I, I love everything in this seaboard, and partially, partially because of the lighting. Like, I just think it's shot so well with the matching yeah, of the, uh, the lighting of the matches. Now, I understand what you're saying. Like, it, it it's kind of feels removed from the rest of the movie, if that makes sense. Like, it doesn't have all the other elements and characters that the rest of the movie does. It's almost a removal 
from all of that, but this acting going back and forth with Jackie O'Haley and Leonardo DiCaprio, I just think it's great, man. And you really start to question, you know, the first time you see it, what what is going on here? Because Noyce is calling him latest, and you don't you don't know if you could just chalk that up to Noyce being kind of you know cuckoo for cocoa puffs, or you know he's kind of the one with all the conspiracy theories and how he got. You know, he wants to know how he got back in here, and I don't really think George Noyce ever left. Quite frankly, uh, I think he's been there the whole time, filling uh, Teddy with all these crazy ideas. I man, I just love that scene, uh, but I c- c- can understand that dragging for someone else a little bit. But just the the acting, the the lighting of those matches, just having ha- having the wherewithal to keep doing that to get the scene. Who knows how many takes they did on those? I mean, I can only imagine because, man, matches only stay lit for so damn long. <laughs> like, they keep having to do that with the takes, I think is great. So, I really, really think this is another great set of scenes. Yeah. Um, so, he starts to break when he's asking, quote unquote, Rachel the questions. Like, he looks overcome by emotions. He looks visibly rattled. I think that that's a, that was a great touch there because right. you can tell something's off right. with him. Um, and so when you don't know the twist, it's like, man, that's, that's crazy, but it just makes sense later on. Um, this is a brutal dream or flashback, whatever you want to call it here. Very powerful imagery, especially when he, uh, wakes up and then Dolores is there with him telling him the latest isn't dead. Like it really just blurs reality and fantasy, um, with, you know, what, what is really going on here? Um, is he crazy? And so I, I thought that was really well done. Uh, meet noise. And like you mentioned, he's no stranger to our show, Jackie or Earl Haley, um, and Nico's favorite rendition of Freddy Krueger. Um, Noyce uh, tells him and us exactly what's going on. And so when you watch it on the, you know, your first time seeing it through, like Mike said, you're like, what the hell's going on? Is he, is he just crazy or what's going on? But he lays it all out for us. The movie is just so well written that we don't even pick up that he's literally giving us the the entire twist right here. So um, it is a good set of scenes. There's some very strong acting in it. Um, Leo acted his ass off in this set of scenes, to be honest with you. And um, you just really start to see him slipping, but also coming back to reality at the same time. So it's kind of a crazy catch 22 situation. Yeah, that I'm glad you said that. That's exact. That's what I take away from, from right here in this set of scenes is you could just start to see him kind of go in between both. But when you watch it for the first time, you think, man, they're fucking with him, right? Like they're giving him something. They're slipping him something. This stuff is working. And I, I just, God, I love that layered storytelling. Yep. The men are back in the wilderness and Teddy asks, what happened to you? Chuck has his intake form, but no real notes. Teddy says he'll look at it later. I'm not going to Ashcliff. I'm going to the lighthouse to find out what the fuck's going on this island. They've gone too far south, and Chuck says, we got the form, and Teddy says, I'm getting to the lighthouse. Why would you want to stop me? It's suicide, and Teddy says, sit this one out. Chuck asks him what happened in those cells. He tells him he's from Seattle again, and Teddy says, I'm going alone. He grabs Chuck, points at him, and reiterates, I'm going alone. He makes it to the lighthouse, but it isn't accessible. He makes it back and yells out for Chuck, but he's gone now. He finds a lit cigarette and looks down the cliff and sees Chuck's body being washed up on the rocks. Teddy grabs the paperwork and stuffs it in his pocket. Teddy has climbed down the rocks and yells for Chuck. Tons of mice appear and Teddy climbs back up the rocks and into a cave 
The woman asks who he is. I'm Teddy Daniels, a cop. He asks her to remove her hands from her back. She reveals a knife. I'm going to keep this if you don't mind. And he warms up by the fire. You're Rachel Solando, the real one. Did you kill your children? She says, I never had children or was married. She says she was a doctor here before a patient. Once you're declared insane, everything you do is part of that insanity. He asks, what happened to you? She tells him she asked about the drugs and surgeries. She explains the lobotomies. It makes the patients much more obedient. Do you know how pain enters the body, Marshall? The brain controls pain, sleep, hunger, empathy, everything. Recreate a man so he doesn't feel love, pain. You can never take away a man's memories. He says that will take years of research. She says we tested patients on Shutter Island. You understand that they can't let you leave. She says that doesn't matter. And she asks about past traumas in his life. They'll point to that as to why you're here. She asks, how's his head? Any funny dreams? Trouble sleeping? Headaches? You haven't taken their pill, their pills, ate their food, drank their coffee. Please say you smoked your own cigarettes. She says palsy comes first. He asks about the lighthouse. Brain surgery. They learned it from the Nazis kind. He asks who knows on this island. She says everyone. Teddy is asleep and she wakes him up saying he has to go. They might find me if they're looking for you. You'll never leave here. They control the ferry. He says he got separated from a friend yesterday and she says he has no friends. He climbs back up the rocks to the mainland. We see Teddy sneaking around in a jeep stops. It's the warden. We were wondering when you'd show up. He gets in the jeep and Teddy says he was just looking around. Did you enjoy God's gift, the violence? He says that tree in his living room reached out to me like a divine hand. He says violence is in us. It's who we are. Warren says there's no moral order. Just can't, can my violence conquer yours? Collie thinks you're harmless, that you can be controlled, but I don't. I've known you for centuries. Teddy is dropped off and walks back inside the ward. Collie asks him where has he been, wandering the island. You're leaving now that Rachel has been found. All the patients are told to stop looking at Teddy. They see an unidentified man in Ward C who subdued a dangerous patient. They had a conversation with schizophrenic George Noyce. Teddy is asked if he's taking the ferry. He's now told he came here alone. He has no partner. Collie asks about his partner again, and he says, what partner? Teddy showers, and he walks into a room and grabs a tie. He sneaks down the hall and walks into Dr. Nayring. He says he's heading out to the ferry. He says he'll find someone who can take you to the dock. Teddy grabs him and asks, what's, it, what's this in the needle? It's a sedative. Nayring says everything provokes you, dreams, words, memories. Teddy injects the doctor with the meds and escapes back outside. He hides from some workers and reveals a car and gets inside it. He finds matches and drugs and Dolores asks, what's he doing? You got to get to the ferry. He gets out of the car and says, only one place they take Chuck. Dolores says, you go there, you'll die. Please don't go. He says, this is an ugly fucking tie and he lights it on fire and runs from the car. He now sees a little girl walk up to Dolores and hold her hand. The two are in front of the exploding car. Teddy runs away as the officers run to it. All right, Brian, this is the next set of scenes. What do you think? I mean, so, I mean, you can just really kind of tell how things are progressing for Teddy and his hallucinations are, are really starting to become, you know, more powerful during this set of scenes. You know, the lines between reality, fantasy are, are, are very blurred. Um, you, can, you can see that he's pretty well overcome uh, the fear of, of fire, though. You know, and again, this is just an acting clinic from DiCaprio. Um, I, I mean, I guess it's pretty much for interpretation if this Rachel Solando in the cave is a hallucination or not. I tend to think it was, but I'm not 100% sure on that one either. Um, but what I am sure of 
is that transorbital lobotomies are fucking insane. Like, how did we as a species, like, even find out that's what the side effects were? Like, just the experimentation that had to happen on human beings. Just insane to me that we were there as human beings really not long ago. Like, it's, it's crazy. Um, but anyway, one, one other thing I did notice after Teddy had the, uh, had the partner conversation with Callie and, and was in the shower, we already had that shining reference at the beginning. We also had that same famous shot from psycho as well. When, uh, Teddy was showering before running into, uh, to Max, Maxi Vaughn in the house ha- in the hallway there. Um, I don't really have a whole lot else in this set of scenes. Um, I think, you know, most of it comes in obviously the, the next one for me, but, uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so uh, everything that takes place in this cave is technically supposed to be a hallucination. Uh, not real. You know, Rachel Solando is not a real person. Um, or if she was, it was fleeting in the sense of she used to work at the facility and now she no longer right. does. And and that's just a person that he remembers being one of his nurses or doctors that he saw. And so that's just a configuration of, you know, she used to work there. Now she doesn't, this is why, like, if that makes sense, I think that's what that's supposed to be anyway. But everything I've read, even from Scorsese is, is uh, he has a lot of hallucinations and she's likely one of them or one of them as I th- is, I think what's well, Scorsese and you may said. touch on this, but what about that conversation with the warden? Like when they're in the Jeep and he's, you know, is, is that supposed to be symbolic for something else? Because I mean, he says he, I've known you for centuries and th- is he supposed yeah. to be like symbolic for, for, I don't know, for Satan or for, I mean, I don't know. It's maybe just maybe people, maybe people like you, you know what I mean? Or something just like seems weird. I mean, yeah, no, it is kind of weird and out of place. Uh, there's a lot of that though. I, I do like the scene in the cave though, because again, when you just watch it on its surface, it's, it's great. It, it confirms all of his, conspiracy theories and if you're invested in that you're kind of like hell yeah he's right let's go let's go get him fuck these guys and then when you rewatch it you're like nah that motherfucker's seeing shit <laughs> like you know what i mean like it, it's just one of i i love that scene because of it uh but you're right though there isn't a whole lot in this set to talk now the next set there's a lot to break down which i think is great but here <laughs> you know you can he kind of did it in the last set of scenes and Dustin touched on it, but he's cracking the way he kind of grabs Chuck and pushes him and says alone like that. Like that's him kind of snapping into his violent tendencies that he has. Um, and you can almost see she and Chuck, whatever, know what to do in those situations with him. Be like, okay, man, we're good. You go ahead. Got it. We're totally good. Uh, so I just, Again, little things that you just don't notice the first time, but you notice now. And I think that's what makes this. And by the way, this scene has the best line in the entire film. Because truth is, that's one fucking ugly tie. Is probably my favorite line in this whole movie. I think it's awesome. Yeah, so um, when Chuck's trying to give him the intake form, that was like Sheehan was trying to wrap up this little experiment. Glad you touched and, on that. Yes. Yep. You know, they're, they're trying to ease him back in here without ripping the bandaid off and him not taking it just reinforces what noise said. He refuses to let it go. Like he's so engulfed by this world that he's made up that it's like, he can't go back to reality at this point. Um, 
then when he's on the side of the mountain there, the cliffs. Yeah, um, fuck that. Like, I'm I'm gonna die right here. Rats? Nah, I'm good. Like, whether they were real rats or he was hallucinating these rats, like I think I've told you guys this before. Maybe maybe not, but rats are like the only thing in this world that I actually am afraid of. Like, I'm not afraid of anything. I I picked up a black widow in my basement one time and transported outside. Like, picked it up by the leg, took it outside, just to you know be a nice person, don't kill it. I don't give a shit. Same rats, brother. fuck no, dude. They started the plague. Yeah, they're the reason say, that the, that the bubonic plague spread. Yeah, man, I don't fuck with rats. Nasty ass fucking. You killed me. <laughs> <laughs> you dirty rat. <laughs> Brian got it. Um, and you got Leo right there too. So you got Leo, Master Splinter. Okay. You got Leo, Master Splinter, and Casey oh, Jones in this shit, movie. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this. Oh my god, this is a Ninja Turtles origin story. Um. Nerds. Actually, I'm, I'm just what? kidding. I like the Ninja Turtles. I yeah, like the on. I like those live action movies. I think they're fun. Uh, so yeah, the uh, the Doctor Salando hallucination was a great touch. Like it helped protect a twist from the viewer. Um, because if you start to piece things together, like okay, maybe he is crazy. That seems so real, especially the way they shot it. Like I said, all these flashbacks and hallucinations, like you can tell they're not real. We know Dolores is dead, so anytime we see her, that's not real. Um, and most of the time he's dreaming anyway, or there's embers flying around because of a fire or she's soaking wet or, you know, the war flashbacks. We know those are flashback because it was the war. This one, this hallucination, hallucination or whatever you want to call it was, uh, so realistically shot. And so I thought that was a great, great touch there. Um, the whole interaction was like his mind was decoding and deciphering what's really going on, but he just can't snap out of it. Um, we get Ted Levine, another alumni of the show, the voice of Rusty Nail from that great, great movie. There you go, Nico. <laughs> but, um, of course, he'll always, in my mind, be uh, Brian Spilner's uh, supervisor from Fast and Furious franchise. But anyway, um, they've been slowly and carefully trying to ease him back to reality. Saying he was alone yeah. was a great step in this, like when he's back talking to Carly and he's saying, you know, where's Chuck? And he's like, what are you talking about? Your partner, you were alone, but you can tell that he's actually, you know, he's smart. He's insane, but he's smart. Right. Like he, he plays along. He's like, no, I didn't have a partner. I came alone. Like he just plays into it. So that was, that was awesome. Uh, cat and mouse there. Uh, Dr. Neri, man, that actually, that scene pissed me off. Like he was so obvious reaching into his pocket, trying to grab the needle. Yeah. It's like, ah, come on. That, <laughs> I think he would be smoother about that. But um, regardless, it was, it was fine. Uh, he's just old senile old fuck. So maybe that's why, but <laughs> overall it's a good set of scenes. And, and like, you can tell we're going somewhere and we're getting there in a hurry and it's going to be awesome when it happens. The only two things I saw online, I did it quickly last night that makes the scene in the cave a hallucination. One is those caves don't supposedly exist. Now I know we kind of see a, sh a glimpse of them in the, op like in the opening set of scenes, but the, I, I guess they don't actually, they're not actually caves. The only thing that I actually believe though, because not everybody knows what the hell they're talking about is I read that because the scene had a fire, I know he's slowly getting over the right. fire, but because the scene was seated around fire, it can be interpreted as not being real. That that's the only, and that he was sleeping that whole time. That's the only thing that I found. Other than that, they just did a really good job of shooting it like she was there. 
which I think is even better, quite frankly. I I think that helps the film. Yeah, and also I wanted to point out um, the doc the person that played Doctor Solando that's uh, Patricia Cl- yep. Clarkson. Yes, it is. Um, you know, she was also in The Untouchables with Kevin Costner, who was in Three Thousand Miles to Graceland with David Arquette. So there you go. <laughs> out of nowhere with it. Hey, <laughs> it's been a while since I've done that, so I had to. Nice. All right, guys. Uh, this next set of scenes is some good shit. So let's take it on. Teddy dives into the water and swims to the lighthouse. Teddy ambushes an officer, takes his gun, and knocks him out. He makes it inside the lighthouse and runs up the winding stairs. He checks out each room, but nothing, until he kicks open the last door, and Dr. Collie is sitting there. Why are y'all wet, baby? He asks Teddy. Teddy scopes the place out, and Collie says, the rifle is empty, by the way, and says, have a seat. He tells him to dry off before you catch a cold. Collie asks how bad he hurt the guard, and he calls Dr. Sheehan to come up. Collie says, you blew up my car. I love that car. Teddy sees Dolores and begins to shake. He says he found Dr. Solando. She told him about the neuroleptics. Collie now says, she isn't real. Your delusions are more severe than I thought. You're not on anything. He says it's withdrawal. Chlorpromazine, I think is what it was called, is what we've been giving you for the past 24 months. You've had someone slipping me drugs the past two years in Boston? He says, no, you've been a patient here. He says you used to be a U.S. Marshal. He reads the paperwork and it says he denies his crimes and he doesn't face the truth of his actions. He asks for Chuck. Collie now shows a board with his name and his wife's names. They're anagrams for the people he's made up in his mind. Your crimes are terrible, so you created a story where you're not a murderer. Collie says, I've heard this fantasy for two years now. I wish I could just let you live in your fantasy world, but you're dangerous. Noise called you latest. That's why you attacked him. If you can't be brought to sanity, now you'll be lobotomized. Dr. Sheehan, a.k.a. Chuck, walks in. Teddy can't believe it. What the fuck is going on here? He asks if he's working with him. He says he had to stick with you to keep you safe. I've been your primary psychiatrist for two years. Lester Sheehan. We're running out of time here, Andrew. Collie says you've had you've had run of the place for two days. Where are the Nazi experiments? The satanic ORs? Teddy sits down, overwhelmed, but he grabs a gun from the desk and yells his name as Edward Daniels. Collie says, blast away, and shoots him, but nothing happens in reality. It's a toy gun that Teddy breaks apart. Dr. Sheehan says, he's telling you the truth. Dolores was depressed and psychotic after she lit your apartment on fire. He attacks Sheehan, but Collie shows him pictures of his dead children. Rachel was your daughter. Are you going to deny she ever lived? Andrew holds the pictures and soaks it in. Dolores says, I'm sorry, I told you not to come in here. Andrew has a flashback to the day he came home. No one's inside and the music is playing. He calls for Dolores and goes outside and sees her in the swing. She stands up and walks to him. He asks why she all wet. I missed you and she kisses him. I want to go home. You are home, he says. Where are the kids? They're in school. But he says, it's Saturday, honey. There's no school today. My school is, she replies. He now sees bodies floating in the lake. Oh, my God. He jumps into the water and grabs his children. Oh, my God, no, he... He tries CPR, but to no success. He holds them all. Please, God, no, he yells out and weeps. He gets back to land and lies his children beside each other. Dolores walks up and sits in front of him. Let's put them at the table, Andrew. We'll dry them off. They'll be our dolls. We can take them on a picnic. If you ever love me, Dolores, please stop talking. I love you, she says. Set me free. I love you, baby, he says, and he shoots her, killing her. He breaks down crying as blood covers her body. 
and the next set of scenes is the finale. Uh, Brian, what do you think about that? Man. All right, so, you know, we get Teddy overcoming his fear of water to, you know, to swim to the lighthouse. And the anagram thing I thought was really interesting, like especially finding out that even the title of this movie, Shutter Island, is an anagram for the phrase truth and lies. Like a, a lot of thought had to go into that. I was I was actually very impressed when I found that out. But obviously, you know, this is the set of scenes for me, you know, showing that flashback. Just so fucking gut-wrenching to me. Like I said in my opening, it put me over the edge. Like, I almost couldn't even watch it the second time for this review, even knowing what was coming even. Like, it's just, again, the father in me and, and putting myself in his shoes. Like, if I came home to that, what would I do? You know, probably the exact same thing. I mean, DiCaprio's acting as he's pulling these little babies out of the water. Like, you know, this is what he deserved the Oscar for right here. You know, I'm, I'm tearing up a little bit even just thinking about it. Those visuals are, are my nightmare. And, you know, add that dinging of that piano and that soundtrack again. Just, just, I don't really have anything else to say. Just such a brutal scene for me personally. Yeah, man, this is a gut punch upon a gut punch, man. This is, golly, you know, the discovery of the twist, you know, you mentioned already that he gets over his fear of water uh, by, you know, swimming. And again, we don't really know that he has this fear of water when you first see it, like everything else I've said. But now we know, you know, he had to get past that to even get to the lighthouse in the first place. Get in the lighthouse, and you don't really know what to expect, but as this twist starts to unfold it, it just makes so much so much stuff in the movie make more sense uh, I god i think it's executed perfectly with dr collie like the way he's explaining it very bluntly trying to get through to him the anagram stuff i think is really interesting not something i would have caught with, without it uh being explained to me my you know my hand being held i uh, again great and the twist that Chuck was Dr. Sheehan. You know, it's not something I predicted when I first saw this movie. Not at all. But it makes total sense because Dr. Sheehan is on vacation. Like, come on, man. That's, I guess I should have caught on to that, but I'm just so wrapped up in the other stuff. You almost forget that Dr. Sheehan's even anything important. Uh, but uh, again, the acting here is great. You know, when they're trying to get through to him, especially Mark Ruffalo, kudos to him. I know I, kind of slander him in a joking way sometimes. I don't actually hate Mark Ruffalo, but he does a great job here as he's explaining exactly what Dolores was, who she was, and what he did. I think it's great, man. Uh, just golly, I love the acting there. And I love the acting from Leo when he realizes that his gun is a toy. I think that's great. I mean, just brutal. Then you get the flashback here to exactly what went down, and you realize especially the first time you see it, you kind of think that Dolores is somebody we're supposed to like, you know, somebody we're supposed to be almost pulling for. We're sad for Leo's character because she's gone, died in an apartment fire. Come to find out that's not at all what happened. She drowned the kids. And that is, so, you know, like you said, Brian, just a hard scene to even <laughs> almost review. It, it's just so well acted. It's emotional. It's a gut punch. I think it's, pulled off perfectly um man it's tough yeah so uh i mentioned the intense score that we get in the opening set of scenes uh it's back here but it makes so much more sense like it's appropriate for this set of scenes so 
Um, I don't know. That, I don't know why it stuck out to me so much, but it really just seemed out of place in the open, but it's perfect here. Um, Carly saying, uh, why are y'all wet, baby? Like, that should have been a huge trigger. That should have just like, what? What? He did ask him, what did you just say? He's like, you heard what I said. It's like that. I don't know. That was great touch there uh, for him to ask that. Uh, he does a great j- job. He does his best of trying to just ease him back into reality. Uh, ben Kingsley, man, to me, he's the star of this set of scenes. His acting is top notch. His delivery of his lines is masterful. His demeanor and his body language is perfect, spot on. So uh, I can't give him enough props for this set of scenes. Um, he starts calling him Andrew, and he doesn't even notice. Like, he's calling him Andrew, and he doesn't stop him and say, why are you calling me Andrew? Such a nice touch. Uh, yeah. And so, like, that's that's a great touch to show that even Andrew doesn't know it because, like, that that is his name. So it's like his subconscious is acknowledging, yeah, that's my name, and he's not picking up on it. It's like, wait, what? Um, so that was great. We get some great emotion here from DiCaprio. Like, you can see the pain in his eyes during this set of scenes when he starts to piece it together. Uh, just an absolutely brutal flashback here. Like you mentioned, uh, we see what had happened. And, uh, you know, that would definitely cause any man to go insane. So completely understandable. Now, I'm not saying it's understandable to kill your wife, um, but who knows what you do in that situation. Uh, just very powerful and painful to have to watch and envision and imagine someone, if you have any empathy at all, like it, it hurts you to watch this set of scenes. And uh, it's just great acting all around absolutely and here's the the ending dr sheehan asks if he can hear him andrew wakes up asking for rachel rachel latest my daughter why are you here collie asks him he says he killed his wife because she murdered our children and to let her go sheehan asks who's teddy daniels and he begins to tell the truth the lawyer said she had an insect inside her brain pulling the wires for fun why did you make them up he can't accept that Laura's killed their children. I killed them because I didn't get her help. Collie sits beside him and says his fears. They broke through once nine months ago, but you regressed. Collie hopes they've made the breakthrough, but he has to see they've made the necessary progress. My name is Andrew Latis, and I murdered my wife in the spring of 52. Outside now, and Dr. Sheehan sits beside Andrew. He offers him a cigarette, and Andrew asks their next move. We got to get off this rock, Chuck. He says it's bad. Dr. Sheehan looks at Collie, Nairing, and the warden and shakes his head no. Don't worry, partner. They ain't, they aren't going to catch us. Andrew says this place makes me wonder which is worse, to live as a monster or die as a good man. He walks away as Sheehan calls him Teddy. We see shots of the lighthouse as the screens turn black and end credit rolls. All right, Brian, what did you think of the final part of the ending? Uh, you know, and I know we talked about it in the beginning, but this ending – just kind of being left up for interpretation, you know, and, and Scorsese adding in that famous ending line, which would be worse to live as a monster or to die as a good man. Like that to me, that tells me he's basically choosing suicide and never relapsed in the first place. I mean, which I mean, damn, I would too. I don't think I could go on living without my kids. So I get it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, other than that, I mean, this. Uh, great ending. I'm glad. I'm glad they put in that line. I'm glad, like I said, they left it up kind of for interpretation. So, did did he really relapse or did he not? So, I like it. That's definitely the way I took it. I mean, I I honestly think this whole time he's known. Uh, I don't think he, he's been as 
there's a part of me that just thinks he's played this character and I, you know, I get what they've been trying to do because he's mentally ill and all this stuff. But I think there's just a, there's a small part of me that thinks that he knew the entire time and has been playing a charade to try to hide it. And, but you know, he always had that at the back of his mind. And like you said, Brian, he never relapsed in the first place. I think he'd come to grips with it and just didn't want to. And if you're not going to give him an option, <laughs> if you're not going to let him live his his truth <laughs> to be you know popular with my lingo, if you're not going to let him live his truth, then he might as well just take me. Just go ahead and take me. And I think that's exactly what we get here at the end. It's it's look, it's left up to interpretation, and it's it's got some ambiguity in it. But at the end of the day, I think that's exactly what's going on here. And I just think that's probably one of the best lines in movie history. It's repeated often. It became part of pop culture. Uh, to use that line for all kinds of stuff, <laughs> jokes, memes, you know, whatever. Uh, professional wrestling has borrowed it many times. So just, hey, it's it's a great way to end this great film. Yeah, so when he comes back to reality and uh, he wakes up and he acknowledges what they've been saying is true, like that's a, it's a pretty powerful moment. Um, I guess, Brian, I never considered that he was in his right mind the whole time. I think I had accepted that he was, uh, he did slip away to this alternate reality. And, um, once he realized it though, I think he, that's when he made up his mind. He's not gonna, he's not gonna do it anymore. Right. No, um, yeah, so that's, that's exactly what I was saying. No, that's oh, okay. exactly what I was saying. Okay. I thought, I didn't okay, mean I the entire, I was, the entire I was, movie. I just meant this scene. He, he didn't relapse yeah, back into yeah. it in okay. my opinion. I agree. Yeah, when he's sitting there and he, he's telling Sheehan, you know, that quote, would you rather live as a monster or die as a good man? Like, that was a great hypothetical or uh, rhetorical question to ask Sheehan there. And it's his way of letting Sheehan know that I'm aware what this means. I can't do this anymore. And so that was just very uh, powerful stuff there, man. And you can see when he calls him Chuck and he looks over to Crawley. Is it Crawley or Collie? I've been saying both things all review, and honestly, I don't uh, I believe it's Collie. Uh, Collie. Yeah, Collie. Like There's Collie no R. Flower. Okay. Yeah. So uh, when he looks over at Collie, like you can see the look on Collie's eyes. He's like, oh, shit. Yeah. And um, like even that, that's nonverbal acting from B- Masterclass from Ben Kingsley. I, you know, just the dread that's in his eyes when he realizes that, okay, this I know what this means. And so. Just a, a good, not, nice and neat bow to tie on this movie. All right, any more final thoughts? We'll just jump into social media. We good? We're good. Let's do it. All right, let's knock out Facebook first. We don't really have any uh, questions, just comments. Uh, Michelle Merza commented, I love this movie. First time I saw it, the plot twist really got me. Uh, I agree, Michelle. I think most everyone would agree with you, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and Kevin Podoff said, lobotomy, but say it in Wilford Brimley's voice. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, <laughs> I got a lobotomy. Oh, sorry. All right, let's jump over to Instagram uh, now. <laughs> Matt Sears commented, "Just great film." Uh, I think we'll all agree with you, brother. Uh, my roommate Kyra commented, or she asked, "Is there any point in the movie that y'all think he is in his right mind?" What do y'all think? Yes, yes, the I do. End. Yeah, the very end. Well, for sure, at the very end. For me. <laughs> Yeah, that's not. For, I think there's some for slips. sure. I mean, a lot of people really no. do think that he relapsed. I don't. Yeah, and I think there's actually some slips here and there in the movie where he kind of is in his right mind as well. But like, I think the scene with the fake Rachel is 
there's some there's some times that where I think he slips into his real self. I really do. All right, Chris underscore twenty twenty asked, "Did you guys see the twist coming from all the subtle clues, or did the reveal oh. shock you like it did to me? I didn't see it coming oh, the first time I watched God. it, brother. No, I did not. Like we said earlier, I thought he was just going to kind of get lo- like sucked into the screwed. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to be screwed. a mental patient. Yeah. He's really not mental. Like they were going to just throw him yeah. away. Yeah, which is a great plot too. So oh, that's why it worst works. nightmare. Yeah. All right, let's jump over to Twitter now. Uh, the cool commented, "Finally, my favorite DiCaprio movie." Heck yeah! I mean, that's saying a lot because he's been in a lot of yeah, damn good there's ones. A lot of good ones. He's the only Wolf been, of Wall Street. He's only is been so in, good. I mean, DiCaprio's only been in two bad films, guys. That's uh, Titanic's one of them. No, it's not. <laughs> Object. Stop. Stop being. A- you told me you liked the movie. I have text proof. <laughs> you said you liked Titanic and Pearl Harbor. I have proof. Hey, don't work yourself into a shoot, brother. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh-huh. 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 All okay. right, Sean Irwin asked, intense movie and a depressing ending. What do you think of the fan theory that he's just Jack from Titanic? <laughs> I've never heard this theory, but if y'all have any thoughts oh. on it, go ahead. No, no, no. No, he's not Jack from Titanic, but I will say this. I shared this with you guys earlier. It kind of ties in. Titanic, Leo DiCaprio was wet. This movie... Leo DiCaprio is wet. <laughs> He's always wet. Uh, there's a comedian. Uh, his name is Michael Costa. He has this bit where he says that Leo DiCaprio is the wettest actor in Hollywood. I encourage everyone to look it up. It's pretty funny. Hmm. Every movie that he's in, he's wet. Yeah. I mean, he I mean, he dies in a pool in Greg Gatsby. I mean, he's, he's wet in a lot. I mean, Man in the Iron Mask, he gets wet. Like, what Wolf of he- Wall Street. He almost dies uh, on the water, but he will not die sober. Get the fucking lewds. Uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape? He almost drowns in the tub. I mean, come on, brother. Inception's raining. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Randy Smith commented, great movie. More on the line of a thriller, but so well acted. P.S. If that be, Leo is a goat. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> All right, uh, Lamar Lovelace commented twice. He said, finally, let's go, my guys. Now he asks us a question. He has two questions, actually. How many and which characters really exist? Both Rachel Solando's, the real Andrew Latis? We'll ask that one first. Ooh, good, good luck. Good luck. Because I, I don't think either I, – I, I don't think any of them exist. I, see, no, I don't I think I think they do. I don't know. I think they do. It goes back and forth with me. I don't think it's, it's fully all in his head, but, hey, what do I know? Like I said, I could see Dr. Solando being a previously real person that he's interacted with, that, but not in the cave. Well, the second one was a nurse in there. Right. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't know. All right, the, yeah, no. This, you want you got anything to say, Dustin? No, wasn't wasn't that the uh, the rule for? Weren't they all anagram? Like, didn't wasn't that explained? Like, there was yeah. names that he made up. That's Anagrams true. For each That's other? true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. So I think they were all fictional names and characters. the The face probably was somebody like the face uh, of yeah. the fictional Solando in the cave. Yeah. Like that probably was a nurse or a doctor that he saw, and that's how he got that face. But I think the name. Was just a fictional, like an anagram, just mm-hmm. another kind of like if you've seen the movie Split, it's just kind of another personality. Well, the, the first yeah, Rachel yeah. Solano is definitely real because it's just a nurse yeah, playing yeah. it, right? Nurse, right. Yeah. Right. Yes, that's a real person. I meant real in that regard, yes, but real as oh, in yeah, her name no, is not Rachel. Right, Sol- right. The Rachel Solano persona right. is fake. All right. His second part of his question was, and if this was an elaborate exercise for Teddy, why did Glenn, the orderly, get so nervous when questioned? 
everyone is supposed to know. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Because everyone's scared of Andrew Latus. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. He's they, they say it at the end that he's the most violent criminal they have. And I think everyone that works there knows that, and they're scared of him. Yeah. Yeah. I would plus, agree. Plus, I think, you know, when you're trying to keep up a ruse like this, yeah. like you don't want to yep. slip and be the squeaky wheel. So yep. I think it was just a high-pressure high pressure situation. situation. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely, guys. All right, let's jump into fun facts. Brian, Dustin, y'all want to kick us off? I just got one, and I'll get it out of the way real quick. It's just kind of a uh, – I always like to see who was considered for other roles. So Robert Downey Jr. and Josh Brolin were also considered for the role of Chuck okay. or Sheehan, whatever you want to call him. But uh, Mark Ruffalo actually won the role after he wrote Martin Scorsese a letter telling him how badly he wanted to work with him. So that was cool. Okay, the only one I have is uh, the only movie of the partnership between Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio that failed to receive any Oscar nominations. Complete crime, in my opinion. Gangs of New York, The Aviator, The Departed, and The Wolf of Wall Street all received Oscar nominations, including for Best Picture. See, this one was too quote unquote horror. I'm telling you, that's exactly why it didn't. I don't care what anyone says. Well, no, I mean, Inception came out the same year and it's a better movie. I mean, yeah, it's a better movie, but it's not like by leaps and bounds better or anything. Eh, I'm going to disagree with you there. Okay. I like them both the same. Just saying. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> sorry, this. Never seen. No, never mind. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> Hold on, sorry. I really fucked Mike up with that one. (laughs) While he's getting his notes gathered, how many Leo films have you seen? Because you haven't seen Wolf of Wall Street either. I've seen Titanic, uh, The Man in the Iron Mask, uh, Django, this one. Have you seen Gatsby? I haven't. Gangs Gangs of New York? Which one? Gangs of New York? No. The Departed? No. Oh, watch them all. I'm here to tell you right now. Amazing. That Leonardo DiCaprio has only been in two bad films. One is the J. Edgar Hoover movie that I think stinks, and then I thought it was, you know, it was, it was yeah okay by his standards it stinks. I think and it's I, okay. Maybe. And I don't like the beach. I know other people do, but I think the beach is pretty mm. tough. Outside of those two, they're all. What's eating Gilbert favorite. Grape? Oh, I love what's eating Gilbert Grape. Are you kidding? Should have got an Oscar for that. Just saying. I, it's it's so funny that he got an Oscar for the Revenant because that was like, just a makeup Oscar. The, it was a makeup the committee, Oscar, I think. Yeah, the committee is like, man, we have dropped the ball exactly. so many times. Here, just take your fucking exactly. trophy. And that movie's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad, but it's not. It's a, it's There's all not, the tweets going around like, when's he going to win one finally? Yeah. That movie was boring. He deserved, Dude, he deserved one for The Aviator way back when. Are you kidding? Anyway. Catch me if you can. Oh, I love yeah. that movie. Oh, the two goats in the same movie, him and Tom Hanks, get out of here. Anyway. All right. Uh, this movie was made for a whopping $80 million and ended up grossing $293 million worldwide and dustin sent me this fun fact so i'll read it now i don't know why he didn't just read the money because you know well, you're the money guy money mike uh, only on you got more than all three of us money mike. Uh, money mike buddy i wish i had that much we'd have i mean we'd meet in studio every week man if i was rich <laughs> we'd sit around a table and man it'd be awesome okay hey, Brian, what what's, you can afford a table what's what's mike's name on uh, paramount plus money money mike <laughs> I think, yeah i'm pretty sure that's what it is sorry uh nico your <laughs> mic's been breaking up i can't hear you um <laughs> <laughs> Might want to cut that. Let people let the fine folks at Paramount know we're splitting an account. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. It's getting paid for. 
It's not by four. Uh, people, whatever you say, every, just, everything. Just four different profiles. No biggie. <laughs> Everything's free at one, two, three. Oh All right. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Hey, I'm trying to read the fun fact here. This movie, <laughs> I guess we had to laugh eventually. The movie's 40.2 million opening weekend take in the U.S. marked the career best for Martin Scorsese. He went on to gross over $293 million worldwide, making it the highest grossing movie of his career. This was later surpassed by The Wolf of Wall Street, which makes sense because what a fucking awesome film. <laughs> what a ride that movie is. You gotta sell me this pen. You gotta watch, you no. gotta watch that movie, dude. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Nico, Nico, if you don't watch any other thing this yes. weekend, because Florida State plays Friday, so you ain't got football to watch Saturday. Well, watch the football. Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, there's other good football. On. I got no, there's a lot of, well, there's some, some pretty stinky games, games yes. we've already talked no. about. All right, all right. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> all right, uh, let's jump into our, if we want to pick kills tonight, we can't favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. Uh, anybody, who wants to go first? Hey, I want to go first. I want to be the first one. And, uh, I want to lay it out on the table here. Uh Phrasing? We're not doing phrasing anymore. You're about to get off of the show. You can He's about to get off table. something. Relax, yeah. relax. Yeah. This is a family you show. Hey, you can, I'm sorry. Hey, you can lay out since when? The Manson family? What the fuck? <laughs> the Firefly family. What the that's fuck? true, that's true. Uh, you can lay it out on the table like they do in the first Orphan movie. All right, oh my god. All right, so okay. All right, all right, all right. All right, I don't have a favorite and least favorite kill, but uh, so in summary, this movie to me makes I mean, it makes you ask questions about mental illness on a serious note, you know, and it's an effects on just everything around you. Like it, it's it's not just about a quote unquote twist to me. Uh, you know, it's about the entire story. I think that if you make it about the twist, like you severely are limiting yourself to the layers and layers and just the complexity of the rest of the story. And I'm not trying to compare it, you know, compare the two by any means. I, I know it's on a completely different level, but it's like how Scream anymore to me isn't about the killer reveal. You know, it's it's to me that's inconsequential anymore. It's about the story. And so is this. Like, I can't call it one of the best movies I've ever seen and not give it a 10. So that's what it gets from me, baby. And give it a 10. Damn, you weren't lying. That's it's it. on the table. I'll, I'll go next. Uh Dustin, if you want to just so you can write down my score and all that. Uh, yeah, I don't really have a favorite kill, but least favorite kill, I got to go with the babies, the kids killing oh, the lake. God, I mean, I no one wants up. to see that shit. Uh, powerful scene, though, when Leo finds him in the lake. I really didn't write much because I honestly don't have anything to complain about, except it's a long movie and the rewatchability is very low for me. So uh, shout out to Leonardo DiCaprio, top five, top ten actor for me of all time. Great cast. I uh, love the setting of the movie, way it's shot. It looks great. Uh, but I gave it like an eight and a quarter just because I just don't – I probably won't rewatch this anytime soon, just being honest. But it's still a great movie. Okay. Yeah, um, I'll go ahead and go. Mike can go next set since it's his movie. We'll let him be last. But uh, favorite kill was the fucking Nazi because Nazis do deserve to die. And I did say Nazi like Aldo Reigns. That's right, Brad Pitt. Um, <laughs> His one good role. Oh, God. Uh, least favorite kill was the kids. Um, that's you don't want to don't want to see that. Uh, really good movie. Like I said, just not a lot of rewatchability. It is long as you know, Kevin Hart's teacher's titties, Miss um, <laughs> Green. Um, I the the cast is phenomenal. I do have issues with like score placement in the beginning. That that was way too yes. intense 
for the lack of action yeah. that we get. Um, I do think it could be a lot shorter. Like you could have cut out some of the, it's not, not necessarily filler, but they stretch it for all she's got uh, in some areas and, and just kind of drag it out a little bit. So I like the movie, but it's, it's not perfect. So I'll give it an eight and a half. Okay. Mike, all right. Before you go, Mike, can I just say, Dustin, you said it great. I feel like after you've watched this movie and you know what's happening, the if you rewatch it again, like all of his like interviews and stuff, kind of just get a little monotonous and too long. If that makes any yeah. sense, like you're like, all right, we already know he's not who he is. So can we just skip through all these damn interviews and all that? But go ahead, Mike. Yeah, doesn't yeah. change. Like it's a great movie. No, and like I said, to me, I only rewatch it to just look and see if there's anything I missed. That's like, oh, okay, that's God. That's a good clue. Golly, that's later. That's the only reason. Yeah, I, you know, this movie isn't about the kills, so it was kind of hard to like even put my mind there with that. Like, I, I just, I don't know. I didn't see the movie that way. If I, I, I don't have a favorite kill, but my least favorite kill is everyone else's, which is the three kids. That's just horrific shit. Um, I just love the storytelling of this film. You know, it reminds me a lot as far as entertaining me in a different way. You know, there's, and when, when I think of movies that tell like a really great story, I think of, you know, the ones that I really enjoy, like, this movie, uh, Shawshank, like movies that just tell a good yes. story where there's maybe not like a, a whole lot going on, but the script is so good. You can't help but invest in exactly what's going on. And there's always a little bit of a twist. I love a good twist. I really do. It's why I really like The Sixth Sense. I can't wait to cover twist that is on this show too. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it in. Leave it in. <laughs> Leave it. Leave it in. Okay. Anyway. All right. <laughs> It's a fucking pretzel. Anyway. <laughs> I was halfway zoned out, scrolling through Twitter, and I hear, Twitter, Twitter. Okay, sorry. Yeah, again, all the praise I've already given the movie. Can't say enough about it. The only negative is the runtime to me, which is the only reason this movie doesn't get a 10. I'm giving this movie a 9.75. I absolutely love the movie. It's one of my favorites of all time. It may not be super rewatchable, but I like to go back and check on it every now and then because I think I might I might have missed something the last time I saw it. So I will go back and, and kind of check on it every now and then. So, by the way, you guys don't know this, but before I got to talk, we had to edit out a whole bunch of blah, 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 blah. So just want to let you know, you can thank Super Producer Brian for doing his job this episode. I think you should leave that in, Brian. Okay. Yeah, and you know, it's, I mean – I mean, I know I gave it a 10. Maybe I'm riding high from watching it for the first time. And by the way, I went into it completely blind. Never didn't know anything about it. And, you know, so, but you know what? Fuck it. Leave it in. 10. High praises from this this panel for this movie. It's a great movie. We gave it a composite score 9.125. IMDb has it as an 8.2 with uh, 1.3 million wow. votes. That so that's cool. a lot. That hey, a listen, lot. I... I'm about to be all wet, baby, because I have explosive diarrhea. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't even know what to cut. Right, let's shout out our blood donors, and I'll announce my pick next week. Camper level reoccurring are Clayton J., Nina, Michelle Mirza, Andrew Ferguson, Carrie Adams, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, and Sean Irwin. Our camp council reoccurring are Hunter Nelson, Dennis Kennedy, Edwin Hernandez-Gunn, Joe Swinford, Jennifer Davis from the Too Close to Home Podcast, Heather Smith, Kyla Denise, all the way from Australia, and Adrian Aiello. 
our legendary blood donor was Mike Azelson. We just did his uh, blood donor pick last week, the collector. Go check that out if you haven't. That was a fun review. And our final guide donors are Christian Cunningham and Matt Sears that we have film reviews to do for. Just want to say we really appreciate y'all. And yes. uh, it really takes a big burden off us, and we truly appreciate it. Absolutely. I'll announce my pick real quick. Uh, Mike kind of teased it a little bit about Orphan. Uh, we didn't do a reaction uh, or a, a bonus review for this movie. Uh, and I'm happy we didn't, you know, because business has been booming around here. We're trying to play catch up on some blood donor reviews and all that and had a lot of instant reactions. But next week we'll be reviewing the new Orphan First Kill movie. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. I'll just go ahead and just tease my thoughts now. But I'm curious to hear, you know, Brian wasn't a big fan of the first one. Uh, you know, Dustin, you know, he kind of liked it. So I'm excited to see what they think of a prequel that came out 13 years later. So I'm excited to review that movie next week. Yeah, and I haven't seen it. Um, my biggest gripe with the first one is that they had sex in the damn kitchen where the kids can walk in. So if they do that shit in this movie, I'm going to give it a two. <laughs> I don't remember what we cut and didn't cut out of that episode, so I'm not repeating anything I said. That episode. <laughs> all right, just want to thank all our fans again. Really appreciate it. Uh, give Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, it's a great way to help us out, reach new people. Uh, we truly appreciate it, and I'm super happy we got our Apple podcast situation fixed. Uh, that shit was devastating, to be honest. <laughs> I'm glad we got that especially taken care of. Thanks to all the fans and listeners. What's that? So especially Brian? on the Ghostbusters episode. It was devastating to me. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, it was It was <laughs> terrible. Uh, but, you know, iPhone gang, gang, gang. Uh, y'all have a good one. Just want to remind everybody. I'm good out there. It's me.